Welcome to Time Code Presents. Today we speak to Loyola instructor of digital filmmaking, Mr. Will Horton, about his personal history of creating visuals for a burgeoning New Orleans hip-hop culture, documenting the colorful life of Big Chief Tootie Montana, how shooting music videos in the late 90s housing projects of New Orleans requires respect, and how to stay fresh by reading from the classics. Hosted by Randy Perez and Patrick Marrero, Please enjoy our conversation about when and where some history was being made. Here we go. I was like, for what? He's like, I'm carving pipes. I was like, for what? I was like, you smoke them? He's like, no, 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 I just do it for the, to carve them. I'm like, all right, carve them, whatever. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, so, Will, we, <laughs> we go back, like, uh, a lot of people don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you know that uh, you gave me my first job, my first paid really? film job. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember what? No, no, was? absolutely. No, it was, it was funny. It was, uh, it was DJ Jubilee's uh, Back That Ass Up, Back That Thing Up or whatever, the one with the big. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Yeah, that was my first paid job. <laughs> yeah, in film. Uh, I think it was, I don't know if I was like, I think I was key grip because Corey, <laughs> Corey was the, the operator, but we had a dolly out there and. That was a crazy day, man. That was yeah. yeah that somebody was got stabbed at the Saint end. Tom, <laughs> Saint Thomas um, projects, the old Saint Thomas projects, uh, mm-hmm. housing projects. Um, it was like a million folks out there. Yeah, and no, that was, you, that was. You could just tell the impact of of, of Jubilee and, and, his, and his music and the dances, because I mean, everybody showed up from all over the city. Yeah, yeah. So that was our first. That was my first. Your very job. first. Gig. My first job that it's, I ever got paid. It's on. interesting that I run into a lot of folks and they're mm-hmm. like. You know, you gave me, I don't remember it. Yeah. I mean, you got to yeah. think about it, dude. I was, what, 20, 21? Yeah. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is, is so, so uh, it's funny because, like, Will was, like, the golden child, right? And so... I like, wouldn't say I was the golden no, child. No, no. Well, I mean, I would say, I mean, the thing is, is, like, in, like, we're in film school and you were working. I mean, you had, you had music videos on MTV and BET and, 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 like, and we were all, like, you know, just trying to figure out how to load a mag <laughs> and but but uh you know kind of talk about uh your your journey because the the film that you are screening is actually something that's that you did a long time ago right right 1997 uh, testimony of a big chief um the chronicles of legacy of allison Tuli montana a former big chief uh, the late big chief of the yellow pocahontas mardi gras mask black masking mardi gras indian tribe um, the film was produced for, actually, it's 30 minutes long, so it's not a full length. And that's because it was a companion piece to an exhibit um, on Tootie's work, his suits, his uh, Mardi Gras Indian suits. Um, but for some reason, it became, I guess, more than than, than just a companion piece. And the, the, the demand to see it, you know, begin to grow... It's been lost for 25 years. Um, it showed up last year in 2022, which was the 25th anniversary of the exhibit itself and Tootie's 100th birthday. Wow. And the um, 50 year of Tootie's son masking. So those numbers kind of working. <laughs> <laughs> working. Um, and I was 25 years old when I actually um, directed. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I became the, the youngest filmmaker to have a a film in the museum as part of an exhibit. So, so, and and to kind of set the stage of it, which is interesting to me, I think 
now as older gentlemen, I could speak for myself. Elder statesman. Elder statesman. speak for yourself. Well, no, again, it's it's a situation where it's like, I mean, back in the day, like, if people don't realize this. Like, kids don't realize this. It's like back in the day when I told my dad that I was, I was going to become a filmmaker, he was like, you can make a living doing that? <laughs> and now, I mean, it was literally like saying that I wanted to go to the moon. Right. Right? And, and, but, but now it's a situation where you talk to anybody and they, like, those, those pathways have been, I mean, technology, but also, mm-hmm. like, people like yourself that, that made stuff. Uh, you know, now looking back at, at, at that film, you know, it's funny because I think sometimes we look at our old stuff and you're like, oh, I wish I had this camera. I wish I had this. But the fact of the matter is, is, is that Tootie is, is such an important historical figure and you had an intimate mm-hmm. access to him. Talk about it a little bit, about looking back at, at that piece. I, yeah. Technology aside, I, I don't I don't wish for better technology in that case. Tootie is a, a subject where you just turn on the camera. I, if I if there were cell phone cameras back then, I would have been satisfied capturing um, just the story uh, of Tootie, um, having that exclusive access to watching him prepare the shoots. That's something that the public just does not um, have access to get to see a witness and. With documentaries, you, you, you try to find the truth and you try to find the story. Okay, I know this is about this um, incredible artist, um, this incredible folk artist, but the documentary to me, um, you started getting themes about family and how, how important it is for family um, to come together and, and what can be accomplished when family comes together. Um, the other underlying story there, to me, the subplot, was this, this monarchy. Here is this king passing the throne down to his son. Darryl literally, Mahmoud. literally, a king. yeah, literally, uh, yeah. passing his throne down to you know his son, um, Daryl Mahmud, um, who's an incredible artist in his own right, who's you know equally talented. So having you know having all those pieces and you know it became more about um, Tootie, became more than just Tootie, more than just um, the black masking Indian, but it taught us about ourselves. It you know mm-hmm. helped help help me realize some things about life. And I can appreciate it now that I'm older. Yeah, looking and back on the film. For people that don't know who Tootie Montana is or was, and how important he was, I mean, he was the chief of chiefs, right? The big chief of chiefs. Tootie represented many things for uh, New Orleans, um, Louisiana, black masking Mardi Gras Indian culture. Uh, Tootie was not just um, an artist. Um, he gave 51 years of his life to the Mardi Gras tradition to the black masking tradition. You got to think about it. It um, started back when um, certain groups didn't have access to the traditional Mardi Gras, so they had to create their own Mardi Gras in their own neighborhoods, and 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 that's you know that's part of the whole black masking Mardi Gras Indians and the skull and bones, and and how African Americans had to make do with their own and create their own. Just so happened to be beautiful art that they created that we can now see in museums across um, across the world. Also, the other part of Tootie is that Tootie was someone who was fighting for justice, fighting for equal justice. As you you know, you look around, and you see now we're in the days of the you know the protests. That's something that Tootie has always been. That's, that's been part of him, always fighting um, for equal rights. Um, for the black masking Indians, whether we're fighting government, fighting against the police. Matter of fact, um, he transitioned at City yeah. Hall doing the exact yeah. same thing. Yeah. 
So it was something. But it was to, a police know, brutality produce. incident at was it St. Joe night with the Indians? There were many inc- incidents, but specifically that, that for before, that. Yeah. But he was the one to come in to bring the peace. So he mm-hmm. was he was that, and you know, for lack of better words, that drum major of justice, mm-hmm. you know, for that black mask and modern Indian tradition. And um, when they were fighting amongst themselves, when it was not, you know, not mm-hmm. as easy to you know encounter other gangs, so he he created that 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 new culture that said, hey, let's not you know fight each other. If we're gonna fight, let's fight on who has the best suits, who has the yeah. best chance, the best dances. Who's the prettiest? Right. Who's the pr- exactly? Who's the prettiest? That's the name actually of the exhibit. He's the prettiest, mm-hmm. and um, he was known as the prettiest. He was, he was also like a, an innovator. He started doing 3D pieces with the headdresses, and like he he did some like he pushed a lot of things really far. But how did you how did you get uh, involved in this project? Like how did you get access as a young kid? I was doing a, a run with um, my short film, The Wake Up Call. It was award winning film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually screening it at the Treme Center, and the husband and wife team. Chandra McCormick and Keith Calhoun, who are the producers of the documentary, they approached me to direct the film, and I agreed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm from New Orleans, so it's I mean it's something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, my I, I was I was speaking to someone earlier today, and they, they asked me. What's my connection with the Mardi Gras Indians? I said um, it was terror and fear <laughs> growing up. Um, if you saw the wild man yeah. or the bones, <laughs> skull and bones in New Orleans, you know, you instantly became a track star. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just being, um, but it was from, always from a spectator perspective. Here was the chance I got to go inside of a world that most don't get to see and as a document, you know, documentary filmmaker, get to explore it and, and be able to make sense of it, mm-hmm. you know, for myself mm-hmm. and, and pre- present it um, in its most pure, right, and honest form. Do you find that looking back at it, obviously it's it's a time capsule, but it's also a, an art piece for yourself as a time capsule, is like you see yourself as a 25-year-old filmmaker yeah. making something. Is there, a, is there a different style to it that you were when you were younger? I most definitely, I didn't know now. what the heck I was doing. <laughs> Um, I, I, no, I, don't, I, I don't know if I that's can, true. I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I, I didn't feel. It. Well, I mean, at that age, twenty four, twenty five, I, I, I don't feel that I had come into my own yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just feel that walking into the situation, I didn't. Once again, that was a world I had never experienced. Mm-hmm. So it was up to me to, you know, as a twenty five year old, I, I needed to let the spirit of Tootie Montana, you know, mm-hmm. come through me and write and guide my guide my my lenses, guide my eyes guide my vision through it and just, you know, try not, you know, as a documentary um, filmmaker, you, you try not to interrupt and, and allow right. things to happen. That's the only way you're going to get the truth in the moments. And, and I mean, Tootie's, I've met him several times and, and he's he's a big presence. I mean, and, and very as much a, so. I mean, as a young, young guy, were, were you intimidated or did you actually, because the times that I worked with you and you, you were in some, you know, intimidating situations, you controlled every set that you've been on. Like you never back down on anything. I don't I don't think about it. I I, I guess my I think I guess if you're inside of my head, I, you know, any director could um <laughs> artist can 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 relate to this. I'm already thinking about the final project, the final product, the outcome. 
So what's happening right there in that moment, that's already passed mm-hmm. in my head. Mm-hmm. I've, I've already, I've, I've, I've taken it in and, and I've already formulated to where where it needs to be placed. Yeah. So what's going on? I mean, I'm, of course, I'm aware of my surroundings, but at the same time, I'm not intimidated by the moment. I mean, dude, I've shot videos in every housing project in yeah. New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> and so the intimidation factor and fear is just... It's just a matter of presenting yourself as someone who respects the environment, and that way that, that environment respects you and it accepts you as one of theirs. Mm-hmm. You said that the uh, it had been lost for yes. twenty years. Yes, like, explain that. Like we just... all have that Katrina story that you know mm-hmm. some things we thought was gone, and all of a sudden. We're going through the rummage of maybe a box we never opened before mm-hmm. or refused to open because we're afraid of what we might see. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what happened with, with this. And a DVD popped up. Uh, so a copy of, of the original popped up. So it's right now we're, um, we're in the process of getting, getting a grant, soliciting for a grant to have it digitally restored mm-hmm. um, to you know, modern standards today. So that hopefully um, we could have it distributed, so that the public can see it. We can show it in a much wider, to a much wider audience, because it's it's one that that like you say, it's a time capsule. I think that should be studied, I mean, even on an academic level. One of the other things I, I know is been toyed with, and, and several people have done stuff, but you've worked as well. Is is kind of like to, for lack of better words, give uh, some of our founding hip hop fathers. Their flowers in, in New Orleans. You were there, obviously. It was a it was a industry, uh-huh. and there was so many people make. Like I remember, like recently, I was uh, I was with uh, Rick, our producer, um, and we were just like listening to like the Beastie Boys uh, audio book, and they were talking about the eighties in New York and how like punk rock and graffiti and hip hop coming together at a time. And I was like, wow, what a time to be there. And then I was I was thinking back, I was like man, the mid-90s was pretty dope. Like, we were like, you know, I was working with you and Chris, and we were doing Fat Fat and all that, which was a music video show, music videos for Master P and all these people, and watching a culture sort of begin. And it was like filmmaking and music and stuff. It was forming right before our eyes. But we weren't paying attention to it in that way. mm -hmm. You know, we just saw it as these folks were having fun. We were having fun, you know, with the cameras. You know, we were trying out new things and, you know, new looks. You know, so it, and the world just happened to collide. And one day, I, I think the visual artists, such as ourselves, would get our just due um, for our contributions to um, the hip hop culture. Um, but until then, hey, let them have their let them have their moment. Well, no, but our world is film. Well, the, no, I get that. But but you've also like I've seen you on, especially on social media, like uh, like talking about uh, various artists that you know, whether it's you know. Uh, trade or whatever like you know whoever uh you know black menace like talking about different people that that like people like sometimes overlook or don't think about it's not really a push for me to be honest with you when i started the new orleans hip-hop history it was more of me sharing you know my experiences a lot of times you'll see um you you'll see documentaries on new orleans hip-hop but it's told from an outsider's perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. good too. As long as, you know, the word is getting out, these folks are getting exposure, their legacies are carrying on, that is fine. But I just thought that I had a unique perspective. Yeah. That I was actually in the room for a lot of um, a lot of these 
pivotal hip hop moments. And yeah. For example, when Take Four Records was formed, I'm one of the four of Take Four Records. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, when T.T. Tucker, you know, who has the first bounce form in, in rap, you know, what's considered the first bounce rap, uh, I was at um, Ghost Town when mm -hmm. he first showed up at Ghost Town. And he and DJ Irv, you know, recorded the famous Where He At. So there was a lot of pivotal moments um, that Mas I just wanted to share. So it wasn't, yeah. I, I didn't set out to, you know, to create any division or to, you know, to plant my flag anywhere. No, that's not my area. I'm yeah. a film guy. Yeah. I'm a documentary guy. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a hip hop guy. I'm, I'm a visitor to hip hop. I happen to contribute some visuals to hip hop, but that's not, that's not my lane. That's not my area. How, yeah. did, how did you get involved in that? Like, like, you know, how did you, you knew all these people growing up. How did you get involved in that community? I happen to grow up in a community um, that's not far from here. It's called Holly Grove, where there was a lot of talent just hanging around. Um, for example, I used to play in a park with Black Menace, um, Threat and um, well, Noopy <laughs> is what we called. Uh, what we called um, J Dog. So I, yeah, those those were my childhood friends. So um, and that was even before the rap thing. I went to middle school. You had Big Mike from the Ghetto Boys was at my middle school. You had um, Ice Mike who was mm -hmm. a pioneer. Um, um, you had DJ Lil Daddy mm -hmm. um, was in middle school with me who's had the first record with the Ninja Crew. Mm -hmm. And Hound, Gertown Hound, um, was also so. I, I happened to <laughs> be acquaints, you know, acquaintance and friends and childhood friends with a lot of a lot of these guys who who went on to help pioneer and invert um, the hip hop movement. Being a kid from New Orleans, like we're all kids from New Orleans, but I, you know, saw Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark and Goonies, and never like never like it was like an escape, like it didn't. Like, you know, you watch those John Hughes movies about high school. That was not my high school. Mm -hmm. And so right. if, it felt like an ex like you like Little Giants or whatever it is. You're like, oh, that would be cool to be like live like that, but this is not how we live. How did film, like, how did you, like, because you're a serious filmmaker. Like, you've always been. Like, you've always was like, I'm a director. This is what I'm doing. I'm a DP. Um, when did that When did that take hold and, and, and where did that come from? Hmm. I think if I have to look back on it, because I guess, I guess to, just to add on to it is, is there was every reason why we believe, we should have believed that it was impossible. Like people right. say, you could follow whatever dreams you want. That's great, except that one. Except that one, or, or like anything in New Orleans, really. Like there was a lot of things. Like you know, you could play the trumpet, but don't think about you know being Steven Spielberg or Spike Lee or whatever, right? Like I, I would have to honestly, I would have to attribute it to Spike Lee. Yeah. Spike Lee and his influence and seeing, okay, Spike can do it. Okay, I guess maybe I can do it. But it was a matter of just jumping in and doing it. Dude, I'm going to be honest with you. Once my high school television teacher put a camera in my hand, that was it. He didn't have to say any more. I'm after school editing. By the time I left high school at 18, I had probably about the end of my 18th year, going into 19, I had dp two feature films. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's before I started film school. So when you were saying, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm in school, then, right. So you just never, there was just never a no. Like, you're just like, oh, this is what no, I do. You couldn't, no, you couldn't, no. Nah. And, 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 and I, I, would, I would attribute that to my parents who, you know, giving, instilling in me that, you know, 
don't take no for an answer. Follow your dreams. You know, mm. Always be three times greater. Did you do the first Master P video? Is that I didn't do the first Master P video. He you did had, the most important one. He had because <laughs> if, if it's because will 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 direct it about it about about it. But but uh, but uh, what what he did before that? There was something in Richmond. Um, yeah, he, he had that several videos um, out when he was out in, in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, about it, I'm about it is the one. Well, about it about it is the video that I directed. Yeah, and that's the one that tends to come up every time you know they do some type of life story on it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's got to be. And, the I don't, most. and I don't know why because that I mean that was his first video that kind of like. You don't, know, you don't know why? No, I don't know why, because he had bigger budgets after that. And that's why. Yeah, but that, that, that video, to me, and uh, what do you think, Pat? Uh, I, I think that it was the, the one that defined, like, that felt, felt like the most raw in the sense of, like, mm-hmm. it felt like, yeah. it felt, felt the most real without using real as a cliche. Like, it felt like these are the people that, like, this is, this is what they do. This is who they are, uh-huh. and it like it hit them. It it hit right then and there, right for me at least. Like Thank when you, you look at when you look at like uh, what was the one that they did in the gym? Make them say. Uh. That was probably the. I would think that was his best video. That's to the biggest me because one because it's yeah, but the glitz and glamour of it. And 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 that it was, wasn't my style, but but that was that was a thing that like at at a certain time I don't know was that before uh, after hype when it was it was or during when they started to get those like. Backdrops, and they would do like they so would use all the Kino flows with it's kind of before, yeah. yeah so it's kind of in that area, yeah. yeah so I mean that, that, that could have, I mean it, it, it was it was kind of influential in that sense, I guess. Right. But but like to me, like that, like even that beat, the I'm about it, about it beat. Who somebody else Chaos. rapped over it? Oh, you had Kels. Well, Kels, Kels, he was the producer, and you had Mill X. It was Master P and Mill X. Yeah, about it. Well, yeah, and that, and that's the thing is, is I think. It's interesting to me, especially because I mean, you know, I just worked on a lot of these videos, so it was just a situation seeing like people like KL and like you and people that like it took a lot to create this. I, like it, I remember when when the records first, I mean, Wild Wayne and Davy D and like you know the DJs playing these records, right. like it was like a whole industry. It took a lot for the music to get. Like, because at at a point, I guess it was like, oh, I can make a rap record, but nobody's gonna hear it. It's not gonna be played. Right. Then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, we, you know, it's all over the place. It's all over. We got video shows. We got local video shows. We need a video maker. We need a a graphic designer. Like, you know, it just kind of opened up the doors for a lot of things. I don't know. It was was an interesting time. It's it for me. It's it's it's, uh, like I I loved because again, I feel like I'm I'm on the outside of it. And so, like, like talking to you or talking to Chris Robson. You're not on the outside of it. You were, you were there with us creating the art. You, no, but, but, but in the creative sense of it, I mean, I, I know I was. But, you helped but, make them larger than life. But it was basically. But it was such a, it was such a fun time to be young. Right. <laughs> like, I don't oh, want to sound sound old, but definitely. Uh, not well, well. you got to think about it. You, you're at school, yeah. right? So Perez, what did you do over the weekend? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Oh, yeah, I was, well, on, I was on set with Master P, and mm-hmm. you know, well, it's also money, and, and people are like the video. The videos were on, you know, major networks, and it was like a big exactly. Deal. You're sitting yeah. in class saying, "Hey, I worked on that." Yeah, and you, you're a college student. And and talk about the the project, uh, the wake up call wasn't just you didn't write it. Jamie Balthazar wrote it. Jamie right? Balthazar, yes. How did all that and and Ernest and those guys like? How did that? Because uh, I mean, I was that that film uh, won some awards and it went. I mean, you were running ride, riding that for a long time. Like it, you was yeah, it won it. a ton of awards. Uh, how that came about? 
was um, the 100 black men of Metro New Orleans organization wanted to do a PSA, or Stop the Violence PSA. You gotta think about it, it was 1995. Mm-hmm. So it was at the height the height of the, the city, just not in a good place at that, at that point, um, crime-wise, that is. And the 100 black men wanted to do something about, uh, wanted to contribute to helping curb some of, you know, some of the ills that, that were beginning to grow and get out of hand. So they wanted to do a 30-second PSA. And in some way, somehow, we convinced them to do a short film. And that film ended up being a wake-up call. It was written by Jamie um, Baldazar. I was the director, um, young, I was, yeah, young director <laughs> at the time. And the piece really spoke to the community because it, it was, I mean, it was their feedback that we got that even to this day, I show that film in my class today and it gets the same response. At the end, this, the room just goes silent. And so it just shows you the, the impact of what we do, of, of what we do with images, and how it, it can affect it can affect people and, and make them think. And that's mainly what we try to do, make them think, just like with the 2D documentary, to start a conversation. Let's go back to the wake-up call, because I kind of remember that when that came out. There was a lot of hype, but I think you had actually gotten representation. And so I just want to know, like, why didn't you go to Hollywood and take mm-hmm. that route? Was, was there, what was the journey? You oh, because um, I'm a grandson of a grandmother who the highest education level was the sixth grade. When I was doing these videos for these guys, um, Masterpiece and The Wake Up Call, I was in college. So quitting college wasn't an option for me. Because <laughs> right. um, I, I remember even after I, after I did the wake-up call, Spike Lee's um, 40 Acres in the Milk called me up, mm-hmm. and that was an opportunity that I missed because the first thing they asked was, what do you have? Mm-hmm. You know, Meaning, do you have a, another script ready yeah. to go? Yeah. And I didn't. Yeah. I'm, I'm in school. I'm, so that was an opportunity um, that I missed. But um, I, I, don't, I don't regret mm-hmm. I don't regret it. Um, at all, because I, I got to travel to L.A., travel to to New York to work, and just a matter of getting good material. And where film is right now, it's so easy to right. you know, to get distribution, you know, for mm-hmm. film. And but, I'm much wiser now. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I think that's important because that was always kind of a, a thing when you're younger, and you're a filmmaker and you're trying to figure out your career. It's always like. Well, you got to go to Los Angeles. You got to yeah. go to Hollywood. That's where the film is. You got to do this. You got to do that. But you can have a successful career. Yeah, without well, following actually, every every road. one of us. I, I never stop yeah. working, and even right. even to today, I can honestly say that I've never solicited a job. Right. Yeah. It's, it's always been word of mouth. Word of mouth. My reputation, my work preceding me. Yeah, it's. it's I mean, you got to think about it. I'm. When I was doing the um, the mystical here I go video, mm-hmm. right? I'm 25 years old and I'm in a meeting with the president of Jive Records. I can't turn to my peers and ask them, do they have that same experience? Well, it's it's <laughs> funny too. It's like I think, and I'm I'm curious if it's still like this, but it, like at that time it was like, oh, 
you gotta get almost like you gotta get signed. Like, a, yeah. like, like rappers. Their goal was not to like go independent. Not all of them, obviously. So, like a lot of people we were around, there was a movement of independent. But it was like this goal was to get signed. And like, like as filmmakers, we were like, oh. Spike Lee made his, you know, John Singleton made his first movie at 18. Right. Tarantino was third, was, you know, 27. Whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. You you have this list of like Spike was <coughs> was 25. Like you start looking at this stuff, yeah. it's like I, I need to be on. Right. And uh, then certain also, benchmarks uh, that we were yeah. looking at to say, yeah. okay. It was also the, I mean, it was huge. That was like Miramax. Yeah. And all the whole independent scene came, you know, right, or exactly. pseudo independent. But exactly. So it was like, wow, what time like more Sundays. than now that, you know, I can, you know. I remember it was called the New Wave. It was mm-hmm. Spike. It was. Um, Maddie Rich? Maddie Rich. Maddie Rich is part of that. Maddie Rich, did he make anything besides the Inkwell and uh, 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 what was the book? I remember Bro- the Inkwell. No, but it, the first one was, first one was uh, um, not Straight Out of Brooklyn. Oh, was it Straight Out of Brooklyn? Straight Out of Brooklyn. Straight straight out of Brooklyn. Out of Brooklyn. Yeah, that was the first yeah. one. And then that was when him and him and Spike went at it <laughs> for a little bit. Yeah, I hated to see that, too. Yeah, it's no. like, man. Yeah. yeah. I remember meeting John Singleton, though, and that experience, the advice he gave me to start writing. Mm. And that's something that I, I started picking up. And and what do you, as far as like, I mean, we keep talking about, it's funny, it's like we end up being like these old fogies. But like looking back as you're grown as a filmmaker, what, how do you think you've changed as a filmmaker? Are you, like, have you noticed any changes in the things that maybe- I became maybe- a better filmmaker when I, when I started to read more books, when I started reverting back to the classics, because I started realizing that the depth of, of your film knowledge actually comes from novels, mm. come from books. If you think about all of you, the great directors, they were making films that were based on novels, based on books, based on classics material, whether it's Shakespeare, right, Chaucer, everything's been written already. And there's, you know, it's only so many, you know, so many stories as you can tell. Yeah, and did- so once I started digging back into my bookshelf, I became a better filmmaker because it started making more sense to me. And then had to pull back from being that DP and started actually telling stories, and that's where I'm right now. Is your your interest different? Do you find that like the types of stories you're looking for? Yeah, more character driven stories. You know, taking time, um, allowing things to kind of happen and flesh out instead of being that kinetic. When you have young energy, it's going to show right, yeah. right in your work. But now, just having having things develop more. What do you, what do that's you th- where I am. What do you think is the key to, to staying fresh? By saying something. That's all. By saying yeah. something. By having, having a point to make, having something to say. That separates you from the rest of the filmmakers. That's when you become that auteur. What is your voice? What's, what's, your, what's your opinion about this topic? What do you have to offer that's, that's maybe fresh? And when you focus on that and less of the technical aspect of things, you come on better. It's where you start separating yourself from the crowd. Think about your directors. You know, think about the great directors. They have a certain way that they they tell stories, because it could have been based on their childhood. They have a certain way that they view life, a certain way that they interpret life. That's to me. That's the key to being that that auteur that you're meant to be. You're not meant to be a copycat director. You're not meant to be. A, a plug-in director. Hey, mm-hmm. just put this app on, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm one and done. Yeah. No. You teach now, right? Yes. And um and like what what are, what are some of the advice you pass off to 
to like so many younger kids? Like, I mean, is is it is it storytelling? Is that the key? I tried. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good. To question. be honest with you, I tried because we're in a new age. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in that YouTube fast pace, fast pace, oh um, low attention. You know, low attention span. They want it now. They want mm-hmm. that high level now. And sometimes, instead of understanding the the process to get to that point, so I have to t- like slow them down. So I'm okay. And in some cases, I, you know, I kind of let them just go off, and and once they see it, it's not working, mm-hmm. they'll come back. Okay, all right, professor, I'm, I'm ready to try it your way. <laughs> <laughs> not knowing that I've already made the mistakes that you <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, that, like, that you've tried. Just looking at it, or like as a, as somebody who, I'm primarily editing now. Uh-huh. Just looking at the stuff on YouTube and how it's edited and oh my jump cuts and just it just drives me nuts and I'm just trying to explain Damn. to people that that's not how it's supposed to be you know I mean it is if you're doing it a certain way <coughs> it's like you know if you're doing a documentary you're not cutting them up like you would a TikTok video mm. you know you have to have accompanying sources you got to have you know video or pictures you might put over that to cover that cut you know. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. I'm, be- I'm like the old man, get off my lawn. <laughs> it, be- <laughs> it becomes a question at that point is, where are you pulling it from? Where mm-hmm. are you pulling your ideas from? Is it you just plucking them out of your head? Or right. are they rooted in tradition? Mm-hmm. Are they rooted in um, the canon of filmmaking? Right. You know, who, who, who inspired you? Who do you, you know, who do you, you know, who, what films do you watch? That's big. Yeah, that's yeah. big. That that tells me a lot about the filmmaker. You can tell me what you know. What films do you watch? Because you know, if I can't see a, a pattern, or you know, I, I can't pull from right. somewhere. To me, I, I think you just you walking in blindly, and you're trying to convince me that you're a filmmaker, but you, you're really not. If you if a student comes to you and says, "Hey, what film should I watch?" I'm at this point to be honest with you. <laughs> read this. Read this. And and I I'd, I'd give them a book such as um, you know how to interpret literature from a, pro- from a professor's perspective. And after reading that book, trust me, they would understand a lot about um, storytelling. A lot about some things are just you know traditional. Some things um, are expected. Some things folks need to see in order to understand the story better. But um, but as far as films, there's there's so many. It depends on what type of stories they're interested in. Once they tell me that, okay, here's a, I think here's a director that could probably, mm-hmm. you probably have interest in. Or you'll, you'll, you'll pull something from a nugget or two that would be useful. You know, I'm enjoying this, um, oh. by the way. I don't <laughs> often, often get to talk about film outside of oh, the classroom. Yeah. Welcome to least, the Nerdville. Or at least with my peers. And I think this is important. Well, what it is. What you doing here, the, seriously. Thanks. But the, so the thing that's, that's that, like, I, I, uh, I do enjoy uh, a lot of, like, whether it's, I mean, you know, TikTok or YouTube, and I, I do see a lot of innovation in the jump cuts and stuff and, and, and different things that people are doing in different ways. I've seen, <coughs> seen a lot of, like, very interesting storytelling, and you're like, whoa. And, it, and to me, a lot of times I look at some of the stuff that's happening online um, done by people that might not have 
thought of like we were filmmakers like we were like we're we're gonna be filmmakers where you know somebody else might be like i don't know what that is i'm i'm an influencer or whatever but doing really cool work Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of like beautiful cinematography and all those things with all of that and that wave of people um because obviously there's there's so many more people um learning uh and have the tools to go and, and and do these things where where are you at as a filmmaker? What do you what what are your where do your interests lie in in the sense of like I know you said story, but like in what how how do you look at it in the future of how you're going to deliver um, you know films or stories? It's long form for me. Yeah, yeah, going forward. Yeah, it's 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 full feature length for me. And, and where do you think that like like I get I mean I guess it's streaming i get uh you know it's like they're having problems now like yeah. you know it's like i mean just what's your take on all of this um it's 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 always a business you know that and as filmmakers we just want our work seen right yeah you know? but we we have to deal with the business we have to deal with the technology that it changes we don't want to be dinosaurs you know fighting a battle that we know is a losing battle <laughs> yeah we don't, we don't, we don't want to be that guy selling saddles when, you know, <laughs> they're, they're Chrysler's are, you know, mm-hmm. you know, flying off the showroom floor. We, we, we have to be adaptable to it, but I'm, I'm not against showing my film in a theater, you know, 50 foot screen. You know. Yeah. Like thinking back. To me, that's the best experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, thinking back, it's like, it's like, I mean, especially your career. Um, but I, th- I would say that probably all our careers is like, you know, a lot of times people think like, oh, well, I'm going to go make, I'm going to become a filmmaker and I'm only going to be Tarantino and I'm going to make these, I'm going to make these feature films where I always, I always looked at Spike as like what I wanted to do because he'll do a Nike commercial, mm-hmm. then he'll go and do uh, a video game, then he'll do a documentary. A then music video. A music video. Enemy, right. Yeah. Naughty, Naughty by Power. Nature. Right. Naughty by Nature. Naughty by Nature. Like he'll do a, you know, a documentary like, uh, uh, what was the... When the levees broke. When the levees broke, he did Four Little Girls. Four Little Girls, right. Um, to me, that's an interesting career, whereas like, you yeah, know... you're doing all kind of different things. And I'm sure he's directed episodic TV at some point, you know, but that that to me seems seems interesting, you know, like varied... Uh, projects and that seems like what you, I mean. I remember. I think the last thing we were I'm trying to remember the last thing I worked on with you is either a gospel video or did Seven Ward Soldier? What was that? You know what I'm talking about? I don't remember Seven Ward Soldier video. It had. The, what was that about? It had a little guy. <laughs> the, okay, so, so oh, no, so, so this is so we had Chopper a, made the we had Chopper a, was in that we one. had a five o'clock five a.m. Oh, call time. I, I, I want to say it was five. So I don't. I, I want to say it was wow. in Holly Grove. Maybe it was Town. I don't know. We showed up. We're all there. Everything is there. We're sitting there. You know what's funny? No, 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 no. Because <laughs> I'm trying to remember if we were just like sitting around and Dodo passed by like at 5 o'clock in the morning. Who? Uh, that was a different video. That, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was that other video. Anyway, um, but it, it, it was they all blend together. It was 5 <laughs> o'clock in the morning and some dude, that you were like, why are you here? Um, anyway, no, we were there and we were waiting. We had a, a little person. That showed up <laughs> drunk from the French casino. Ward, yeah, he was Ward, from the yeah. ca- casino. He had like a like a like a like a sparkly vest, <laughs> and he showed up. And then we're like sitting around waiting for Chopper, and we're like, "What's going on?" So it's like six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock. We're like sleeping on a truck. Nine o'clock. He's like, "Oh, I'm at Roy Jones Jr. House in Pensacola, Florida. Oh it's four hours away." He's like, "I'm oh, I'm, I'm coming now." 
and we like I, it must have been like seven hours before we got the first shot off. Yeah, yeah, those, that, those were the days. That does not sound. Um, those were. The I days. don't know if that was. I don't know if that's that not very surprising to me. Yeah. Actually, just yeah. in my dealings with <laughs> dealings with rap artists and editing yeah. movies and well, stuff for them. Yeah, stuff. Uh, Patrick edited uh, Masterpiece uh, Masterpiece movie. I'm about, about it. it. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. That's yeah. that's a groundbreaking for <laughs> for hip hop in that genre. That's a groundbreaking film. Well, the thing that's crazy about that, and it's and and that's why I always like like these are lessons that that could be uh, you know placed on today, because Master P was like, I'm gonna make a movie with hip hop artists about like in New Orleans that nobody else is making, right? And we're gonna distribute it on VHS by ourselves. That was before Jay Z and all those guys did that, mm-hmm. and they did it, put it out. I remember I was working at Blockbuster at the time. And and we had a, we got a case of, and I was like, whoa, what is this? Open it up, and we were, we sold out that day, and like for the next like three weeks, every day we we're getting like a hundred calls of like, you got him about it, you got him about it. But but that's the thing is he was smart. Shout out to Master P, yeah, for for that innovation. Actually, um, the wake up call was actually at the front of the about it. So oh really? They've got a major promotion, you know, Damn. with the about it distribution, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and and uh, your relationship with any of them, you, you uh, stay in contact or? Yeah, actually, um, about a couple of years ago, he called me up um, to produce a video for his daughter, Symphony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we took care of that. Oh, nice. Because it's it's funny because he started. I mean, he's been doing, uh, still kind of does films, right? Like, I mean, he did the. He tried to do. Um, I got the hook up too. He did. The, yeah, he did he have the hook up too. Yeah, the premiere was here. Oh really? Yeah. He did. He actually did it. He actually. Did. Oh, I didn't know. And then he was supposed to be trying to do a a, a like biopic. A, thing, I think, a biopic. Yeah. The I, ice cream I, man biopic. He right? did a, a the the um the the documentary series. I, I don't know if it was on. I don't know where it was at, but I saw it. That was. It was uh, good. Was it BET? I think. It was, I thought it was. I think, BT. I think it was BET. Yeah. Um, it was a hip a hip hop chronicles. They did several. Um, mm-hmm. They did Rough Riders. Master P and I think another. Group. He, it was like a four part series or something like right. that. It was uh-huh. good. But that's the thing is, is, is do you, uh, what's the, the initiative that you, you have? New Orleans Hip Hop History. Talk about that. Like, uh, why is that important to you? Um, New Orleans Hip Hop History, I wanted to pretty much start a conversation on, you know, pretty much started out with a question. Who was the first MC to pick up a mic in New Orleans? Mm. And that's a tall task, but mm. it leads you down roads, right, mm. to, un, you know, uncovering, okay, some of some influential, you know, figures who were part of this whole hip hop movement that don't necessarily get, the, you know, the limelight um, that others may get for various reasons, for whatever reason. Um, so you start to uncover um, these unsung heroes that are now coming to the light, and you know that's that's been, a, you know, a great journey um, to me, um, pretty much a labor of love. Um, to do so, I get to you know meet these forefathers and pioneers, you know that that helped create it. What Master P and the Cash Money's of the world built on. And you were doing interviews. What what are you? What's the plan? What are you doing? Um, the plan is to do um, a full length documentary that will help chronicle what New Orleans' contribution was to hip hop. So it's comprehensive. It's not based on one group or one organization. It's, it, it spans from the very first rapper 
until today. Rome from Time Code and I, like years ago, it was like around 2000, we were trying to do a bounce documentary. And we got a bunch of interviews with a bunch of people. And then you realize nobody cleared their samples. It's like this thing is unreleasable. <laughs> this is like there is no way that it could be released, and it's like I mean, and then Katrina happened too, so that's that's a whole other thing. But it, it, it um, well, my my documentary, um, the one that we're doing, it tends to focus on the stories and the, mm-hmm. the, the people and, and their legacies. Um, um, the, the music just happened to come from you know where the mu- you know we focus on where the music come from, and that's that's from from. Their hearts, their struggles, their pains, their their wins, their successes, and and we go from there. Do you, do you think that um that the independent spirit from the hip hop community? Because at the time, I mean, I mean, we had some wins, right? We had some big wins um, coming out of the city, and people that were independent. Did did, did that influence you as a filmmaker? Yeah. My um, independent spirit came from um, the new wave movement with Spike and, and those guys. I was asked to do music videos, <laughs> so, um, so like I said, I'm not, I'm not a hip hop artist. So I'm not really from that hip hop world. I did visuals for for hip hop. Being around people like Master P and Baby, you can't help but pull from you know from what they're doing and, and, and the sex success that they were doing and apply it to what you're doing. So I can't say in, in a sense I was influenced, but as far as the independent spirit, um, nah, that comes from my parents. So when it came to the the visuals of the music videos you were involved with, like, was that all you? Was it a, a combined effort? Um, did they like no, did Master P come in and P say, come and say this, is what we, <coughs> "This is what I want, and this is how you're going to do it"? I mean, how did you? How did that work? I think part of my appeal to rappers um, when it comes to doing music videos was the fact that I was a filmmaker. So. With my eye, I was always making things look like a movie. I wasn't thinking of artists. And like I said, I'm not a rap artist. So what I was doing is putting them in pretty much vignettes, mm-hmm. you know, that I would see in a movie. But to answer your question, um, just like with a film, um, the script has to be written. And every single visual that you see in my videos came from my thoughts and my process. I created every. I, I was a writer on all of the music videos, so when it when it comes to contributions to hip hop, as far as the directors, if the director is writing the treatment, you know that's mm-hmm. you know that's a intellectual property that you are contributing to music videos. That means all the rappers have to do is just show up and just beat them, beat their great selves. The script is already written for you. Did you have any? Any kickback on any of that? Anything you wanted to do? Or? <laughs> any kickback? I mean, you know, um, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Or, I remember know. Chopper said he didn't want makeup. <laughs> and the way I convinced him, I said, um, well, Tupac has to wear makeup whenever he goes in front of the camera. Mm. And that's how I convinced Chopper. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting story there. Yeah. When we, we look uh, back at all of this, it's just a. It's it. It was just a, a great time. Like like. Do you do you do you um. You know, especially it being the fifty fiftieth anniversary of hip hop. I mean, there was a lot of people that was involved in it. It was not just rappers. It was DJs. It was club owners. It was started you know, with DJs. Started with DJs. I mean, the the thing that's uncanny to me is the fact that how relevant Manny Fresh was to the sound in the very very beginning and in. Throughout throughout the process of New Orleans hip hop, but but it's just to me it's just interesting that like 
graphic designers, you know, television hosts, radio DJs. Like, I mean, it, do you feel like we're giving the culture the just due? The city gave proclamations to some some of the artists, and that was nice. But it, it like it, it feels a little like you know, I don't know. I think in some ways we are giving it just due. Uh, I applaud the proclamations. Oh, I know because absolutely. there are some. There are some individuals you know, who contributed um, who were at um, City Hall who had never received any type of recognition yeah. um, or accolades before. So kudos to them. Um, and Cessful but Five. Only, but yeah, and kudos to um, Cessful Five and whoever you know were part of the organizing event. But um, on the other hand, I think where we fall short as a city is both our support from government which I don't think should be the full support. I think the, the organization should come from the hip-hop community itself. And whatever the government could probably lend or assist in elevating that, then that's where it'd be. I, I don't want to rely on the government. I'm, if I'm creating this art, then I want to present it to the world. But that's kind of been the story of New Orleans, right? They yeah. never seem to hold their art properly. If you go back to jazz and... A lot of the music that's come out, you know, I don't think it's been supported by the city as much as it probably should have been to, ex it, to export it. Like, yeah, well, it's, it's like 50 you know, years late. What I'm afraid is going to happen is that, hmm, I hate to say this, I'm afraid that rappers are going to become the new tourist, the attractions. Oh, yeah, I can see that. that, you know, that you it's know, like I, the new Neville Brothers or whatever. You, you know, when you, when you go to, like, you, you, you go to islands or you go to destinations and the locals, whatever the culture is in the local, they're you know, yeah. they're they're at the airport or at mm -hmm. and it's being exploited in that way. On my way back from a vacation in Puerto Rico, when I got off the plane, Fifth Floor Weeby no. was rapping at the at air the airport? at the airport. They had a band, a jazz band, you know, brass band, yeah. and Fifth Floor Weeby was rapping and I'm like, Yeah, yeah. hey, it was it was a gig. But I'm just I'm, I'm I'm using that as an example. Yeah. Like it could start there, and all of a sudden, it's yeah. that yeah. becomes the new jazz band, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, the bounce rappers are now being exploited, where they're getting pennies on the street. Mm. I mean, I, I could see that certainly happening because I know, like, within the con convention industry, you know, I mean, I guess it's a good gig, but you know, I've seen like Rock and Doopsy would go play a convention and. These guys, people don't know what Rock and Doopsy is, so they're just like not even appreciating him on stage doing his thing. And you know, I could see that happening. We're like, you know, oh, let's get Juvenile. You know, and these people, you know, other than one song, they wouldn't get anything well, else from it. The thing that's interesting is Juvenile is is getting his uh, his his shine, if you yeah, will, right? Yeah, he's got actually. his Chewies and he's got his drinks, and you know, he's finally like the the tiny <laughs> the, the tiny desk. You know, like I, I love um, Juveniles finally getting that ambassadorship from the city um, nationally that, that he deserves. My question is, what happens January 1st mm -hmm. when the 50 year is over? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That means we got to continue that momentum, right? Don't just appreciate me for the 50th year. Yeah. What happens January 1st, right? Yeah. That 51st year. So what do you think, um, like, as a storyteller where you, I mean, especially a, a person that was, like, in it, because there's not many people that have your perspective as a person that was telling stories within the culture and then also now that the culture has evolved and changed over over what 30 30 something years now mm -hmm. in New Orleans and and you are telling the stories of some of the 
the founding fathers and elders and whatnot. What do you think the next the next play is? Hmm, that's a good question. I think the next play is organizing the hip hop culture, or well, the hip hop culture or community organizing themselves, um, figuring out ways um, where there's equity amongst amongst themselves, having um, some type of I don't know assistance for those founding fathers who helped lay the foundation but did not get the credit or who were robbed in many cases of their, you know, of their just due, of their royalties, you know, of their art. And understand where technology is going as well and how that, how you can benefit from it. I mean, looking back on your career, and I know we're basically middle-aged, so. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> but looking back on like, what was your, I mean, not to switch gears here, but what was, like, if you look back on it, I mean, was it the wake-up call? Was it one of your music videos? What is, like, the project that you would say this is my top, you're most proud of? Like, this is this was it for me. Or has you, or have you not made that project I have yet? not made that project yet. I, one of the projects I, I think I'm most proud of is... The BG and C murder oh, yeah. video, um, y'all ain't hurting me. That was, to me, I I, I felt um, I was I was in a zone. When I when I look at the video now, it's this everything about it. It has a a, a a raw richness to it. It's like every everybody came together. Everybody was in sync. I think visually, artistically, it it really showed who I was as a director because you think about it i had to make a video where the artist was not there so with that challenge yeah no that was that was that was a, that was a crazy time that was uh i think i was on that that you was on that we, yeah we shot in front of rose tavern hmm. yeah it was that well cool man well uh you have a screening coming up which is at december 14th thursday at loyola university new maker however unfortunately it's a private screening <laughs> ultimately can we see it anywhere is it going to be a we are working on a, a, a larger screening um for the public um, the public needs to see this this yeah. is you know the time capsule this is a you know a part of history um that you can't recreate Mm -hmm. um, it should be viewed um, for posterity, for academic purposes. Yeah. So ultimately, hopefully, ultimately, um, we have two the Montana Day coming up. So you never know; you may, mm -hmm. you may Maybe hear something. Yeah, you may hear something. Well, thanks. You, thanks. At a larger venue. Well, thanks so much, brother, and uh, hope to see. You. It's been a long time, man. We, it's too long. It's too long. For all of us, we haven't hung no, out. In a long honestly. Time. Fellas, I, I appreciate this. Um, this felt like, you know, we were just hanging out, you know, yeah. and, and talking film. Well, thank you so much. We will talk to you soon. Very special thanks to Mr. Will Horton for talking to us. We enjoyed that. Hosted by Randy Perez and Patrick Morero. Produced by Ricardo Barros. For more information on what we up to at Timecode NOLA, check us out at timecodenola.com. Or just ask somebody. Later. Later.